1: This episode of Where Should We Begin is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive?
0: What you're about to hear is an unscripted, one-time couples counseling session. It contains mature themes and listener discretion is advised. For the purposes of maintaining confidentiality, names and some identifiable characteristics have been removed. But their voices and their stories are real.
1: From the intake interview, I learned a few things about this couple. They are in a kind of a talking versus touching battle of sorts.
2: We are extremely different people and with different
1: communication
2: styles. So, like, I'm verbal. He's more communicative through touch, which sometimes can trigger me.
3: I'm a very touchy-feely kind of physical person.
2: That kind of creates that self-feeding loop of neither one of us are able to give what the other one truly needs.
1: There is... A long-standing history of cheating described as a sex addiction.
2: So sex addiction has really been an ongoing issue for me since I was uh, a teenager. I found out he was cheating on me. Just random hookups and meeting guys online and doing what guys do. It was very, very heartbreaking. So he found out which... And long story short, I kind of was hoping he would because I knew I needed help at that point.
1: And the revelation of the cheating, which then became a revelation about an out-of-control sexuality, then became a revelation of an out-of-control violence in his childhood.
2: I've been diagnosed with PTSD. I've got a history of trauma. And for so long, I've been trying to push that away.
1: It was either counseling
2: and trying to figure all this out, or... To throw away 14 years.
1: And so, part of what I want to do is to parse out what is what, what intersects with what, what may have led to what, and where can the healing, the
0: change, and the growth come from. This is Where Should We Begin with Esther Perel.
1: What's one conversation with him that you would like to have?
3: Being able to have a better understanding of triggers from his past. He and I have talked before where we've related it to kind of walking through a minefield. Sometimes you're doing fine, but then you take that one wrong step and everything unravels. So being able to navigate those kind of situations better, for sure for his own mental health, and for mine.
1: Is there one that you have been able to identify that, you know, on a few occasions I'd said or did something Um, and...
3: I think probably the most recent one (laughs) is uh, his birthday. Uh, My idea for his birthday was to, since we had just recently moved to Minneapolis, Uh, We had been talking about going to a lot of these little just little fun landmarks the Mary Tyler Moore statue the Bob Dylan mural um, Those kind of things and we just never done it. We've been there for two years and it's always oh We'll get to it later So I thought we'll jump in the car and just kind of travel around and I'll take him to all these fun little places
1: blindfolded
3: no blindfold just unknowingly (laughs) What? Because that's what it yes, felt like. And
4: it. we um, finally got to that point.
3: Mm-hmm. And so my idea of fun, that spontaneous and excitement of the unknowing, um, so let's go do this. You know, I had the whole day planned out, lunch mm-hmm. at a certain place that we talked about, and then it never got that far. I noticed something was kind of going on when we were at home. He was kind of just dragging his feet and kind of hemming and hawing when he was getting ready. But we got in the car and started talking, and he kind of shared a little bit that he didn't like the surprise aspect. And it's like, well, I can tell you if you need to know. I can tell you exactly what we're doing. He said, no, it's fine. You can manage it. And by the second location, he's like, OK, no, I can't I can't do this anymore. So.
4: And, and I kind of look at that and go, there was a breakthrough, because we circled back around and talked about all of this, right? And what I learned was I'd been isolating myself with these thoughts in my head. So I was getting anxiety about all of these surprises that were happening and I felt like I was being blindfolded and put into a car and then taken, you know, on this wild goose chase, which I knew nothing about. And only then did I realize that I'm not sharing my process of what's going on in my head with him, and he's asking, and I'm saying, well... He's
1: even asking, should I tell you where we're going?
4: But I wanted desperately to not have anxiety around that. Oh. Like, I wanted the surprise, i mm-hmm. um, getting all eyed I wanted desperately... I wanted for his surprise to be a good, positive thing for me. Here I am going, I can do this, I can do this, I can mm. do this, I can do this. I, which really made the anxiety even worse. So what I learned, what I'm, we have learned from that was that I, I, need, I need to include him in what's going on in, in, my, in my head. I can't just assume that when I say, oh, I have anxiety, he understands what that means. Like, he knows a little bit about the trauma of my past and what kind of triggers this.
1: Um, he knows a little bit means what?
4: He knows trauma has happened. He knows um, that he's physically abused and sexually abused um, early on. So he knows those things. He doesn't know the specifics around them. And then that also, I think, plays...
1: And. The reason he knows not more is by choice of you, or of him, or of lack of the vocabulary?
4: (sighs) The language, yes, that's a big piece of it. But also for understanding that my memory isn't there. I have blocked out so many pieces of that, and that's something that I'm working on with my own own personal therapist. At first, I thought that he wanted to know all the icky parts because he just wanted to be like, oh, he's got all this trauma from his past, and I just want to hold you and and, and coddle you. What I'm finding is he wants to know the icky parts so that he understands the process of what's happening in my brain, because he doesn't want to
3: add to that.
1: Is that accurate?
3: Yeah, it is, you know. I've often related it to, I see him hurting, but I don't know how to help.
1: Do you need to know what it is in order to comfort him? Or can you comfort him just because you see he's distressed or he's upset?
3: I can definitely comfort him without knowing. Um, Does he let you? Sometimes. Um, You know, we're very different ends of the spectrum. He's very much words, I'm very much touch in in action. So trying to speak his kind of language of what he needs is something I'm still trying to learn how to do. Um, I'm not a big talker. I'm the quiet listener. So in those respects it works out well.
1: But maybe he talks when he should be touched. mm -hmm. And you should not learn Mm -hmm. from him. Mm.
3: When is that? when there's that physical recoil from that touch, am I doing more harm than good? So sometimes that does happen.
4: And it does take me a few minutes to lean into that. Mm-hmm. Because I realize that, yeah, I'm recoiling from this person that I've been with for 14 years. So, my, so again, there's, there are elements of guilt around that. I'm like, holy smokes, that must not feel great to him. You know? because here I am here's your beloved coming to touch you and I'm like, "Oh, hold on. Hold on." And I'm kind of but it takes me a, it takes me a few minutes to kind of go, "Okay. All right, I'm safe."
1: One of the many ways to begin to understand trauma is that it is an overwhelming experience that often induces terror and helplessness to which we then respond from the place of our reptilian brain, fight, flight, or freeze. And as my colleague Bessel van der Kolk has so beautifully stated, when it comes to trauma, the body keeps the score. So while he thinks it's his mind, when he recoils, it's a body that recoils and it recoils and it freezes and it closes off in order to protect. 20 years later, how does he let his body know that this time he doesn't need to recoil, that this is a person who is coming to make him feel good and not take advantage of him?
4: Honestly, I have to say in my head, I'm safe. Mm-hmm. This is a good thing. This is, uh, this is the person I love the most. This is the safest place where I am in the world. Do I think that that's ridiculous, that I have to say that to myself? Yes, I do.
1: No. Thank you. No. It's wonderful that you can speak to the scared part in you, to the scared boy in you, that needs a moment to differentiate between loving touch and hurtful touch, and grounds you in reality, in the moment, and says, hey, no, we love each other, and he's coming to comfort me, and I can let myself trust him, and he will hold me, and I will feel safe. Nothing ridiculous about that. All good.
4: I want that to be something that is just innate, something that is just normal. Do most people recoil from somebody who hugs?
1: Most people who experience what you have may. Normality comes in many forms. What you do, the natural language you have at that moment to hold him, is exactly what needs to be. And when he recoils, stay steady it has nothing to do with you he doesn't recoil from you it's very hard to believe that right because I'm sure so many times you have touched him and his shoulders go up and you think who else is he rejecting if not me I'm the one holding him but it's not it is and it's not it's signaling to himself this is comfort this is love This is care. This is gentle. But his body memory needs a moment to determine this. So you let him do his translation. And you just stay steady. And you just say, he's adjusting the dials. Mm -hmm.
3: I get into that self-doubt or is it really me? So it does bring up those kind of self-esteem questions or why is why is he pulling away from me? What have mm-hmm. I done? Mm-hmm. For sure. And now? And now the more I learn about him and that past trauma, I can see that it's not. Um, and it may sometimes take me a few minutes to readjust my internal dials, as you mm-hmm. said, to go, wait a minute, it's not. Mm-hmm. Stay fast and... Kind of do what I know um. sometimes I treat
4: him poorly talk to him sometimes I treat you poorly because I see him as an extension of H- him him is not
1: here you are here
4: because I see you as an extension of me mm-hmm. so if I'm really hard on on you it's because that's how that's how I speak to myself so I'm working on going of trying to be a little more self-compassionate, first of all, to understand how to be more nurturing with myself, which will then allow me to be more nurturing to you because I do see you as an extension of, of me.
1: How um, do you talk to yourself in those moments? How does that voice speak to you?
4: Oh my gosh, you're stupid, you're bad, you're, you're, <coughs> you're, you're ugly... Um, you're worthless. Um, and if I see him as an extension of me, then am I saying those
3: things to him? Probably. You've never said those words. No. But there's those feelings there's there for sure. F- for sure.
1: Who spoke to you this way?
4: That's something I've, I've, I've learned from my parents. Both of them? I grew up in a very volatile environment, yes. And even that—even just saying those words sounds very um, clinical. <laughs> but um, because I'm trying to remove the, obviously, I'm trying to remove the emotion from
1: that. And if you didn't?
4: I'd be pissed off. And you'd say? That wasn't right. That wasn't fair. No,
1: I grew up in a...
4: A shitty environment. Right. A really shitty environment very hostile, very abusive, very um, demeaning environment.
1: And when I talk to myself in this way and I say, stupid, idiot, the fuck is wrong with you, worthless piece of shit, who's talking? Where did I learn it and who did it to me?
4: My parents, my mom, my dad. Now, I've just begun to wade in and to begin to dig in deep into the stuff. I see our relationship changing for the positive. Even with who would have ever thought that my acting out with my sexual addiction, who ever would have thought that this, this, the worst thing that could have ever happened. In our 14 years, who would have ever thought that this would actually bring us to a place of a year later getting married? We just got married.
1: Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And you're making a connection?
4: Yeah. How? By some of the things that we're talking about already.
1: In a relationship, we often will establish a type of status quo. It's the stuff I'm willing to live with, given the implicit contract that exists between us, the unspoken contract. But when there is a crisis, it upsets the status quo, by which things that I was willing to live with, I may no longer want to accept at this point. And that actually becomes a source for change and movement.
0: You are listening to Where Should We Begin? with Esther Perel. We'll be back in a minute.
1: Support for Where Should We Begin? comes from Progressive. Most of us are listening to the podcast and multitasking. You may be driving, shopping, exercising, taking a walk. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else that you can do right now, which is to get a quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy, and you can save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers can qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Get a quote for your car insurance at progressive.com to join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
0: Now, back to Where Should We Begin with Esther Perel. You needed this
1: to unleash something between the two of you?
4: I've never, we've never been so honest, I have never been so honest about my history and my past.
3: That this provided- and he has
1: never been more demanding for once?
3: Yeah, I've definitely started pushing him more on
1: mm-hmm. it. Um, on, on it um, or on meeting on, you?
3: On sharing with me his past, on letting me in a little bit more, on helping me to understand what's going on in his head. Before, when he said he didn't want to talk about it, it's like, okay, I don't want to push, I don't want to. Right.
1: But I'm be asking you something too aggressive
3: else. for sure. So.
1: Are you more demanding for yourself now?
3: I think so. I think when all this happened, one of the things I did not do is take responsibility. Um, his acting out was, I, I think I actually said, this is not me. I've done nothing wrong.
1: And that's not and so, typically you?
3: No. Um, I'm the caregiver. I take care of everybody else.
1: Um, How did it feel to ask for something for you?
3: Scary, but good.
1: Scary Um, how?
3: um, It's that fear of rejection. Do I deserve this? Should I be doing this? And the answer is yes. Resoundingly. And it's just getting my head around that to say, I can put myself first when it's appropriate. When I do need that, which is more often than I'd actually do for sure.
1: Yes, because Uh what you deem appropriate is when it's massive crisis. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're going to need to learn to ask for more, Uh even when the house is not on fire. Yeah. So where did you learn to live on crumbs? He's not the only one with the history, huh? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I never saw it as that, though.
3: It's normality. You always do for others. Yes, it but what was. you're telling
1: me is I don't need much. I make sure not to need much so nobody can say no.
3: True. I'm a pretty low-maintenance person, though.
1: No, oh, <laughs> you've got it nicely <laughs> rationalized. <laughs> um, you're not getting away with that. Um, <laughs> Wrapped in a I'm a low-maintenance mm-hmm. kind of guy. And after, then I meet myself, this wonderful boyfriend who is a super high-maintenance kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So I... Get to preserve the title. <laughs> Wait! <laughs> <whoa>. <laughs> His drama is always bigger than yours. This is true. Very true. His history will always be shittier than yours. Wow. Um, His yeah. family will always be shittier than yeah. yours. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he needs to cheat on you for you finally to say, I want something now. Mm-hmm which is great, but he shouldn't have to cheat on you for you to say, I need more. True. So where did you learn to refrain from asking, wanting, needing?
3: I think it starts with not wanting to be noticed. Growing up as that little gay boy if you don't need much, you're not going to be noticed. So you can fly another radar. I learned how to hunt and fish and be in Boy Scouts and play Little League and and do what you were supposed to.
1: What did you want them to see?
3: What a great person I am. That I do have something
1: to offer. Mm-hmm. Does he know your pain? Because it's so much his triggers, his pain, his drama, not to minimize it, but there's an imbalance. Sure. Ask him more.
4: What did it feel like when you were fitting in? Like, what did it feel like when you were with this group of
3: straight guys out hunting? I just didn't want to be there. I love being out in nature, but to kill something? No.
1: As I listen to him, I begin to wonder, what is his silence? And I get a sense that both men have an unexplored side to themselves. A story that was never told a truth about themselves that could never be safely expressed. And so I begin to ask him. Did they know?
3: My brother knew and never told my father. Uh, He passed.
1: So you never came out to him?
3: Not to my father, no.
1: Why didn't you tell your dad?
3: I ask myself that a lot. I think it was just that fear of disappointment.
1: Do you hear yourself saying it to him? I do. And when you hear yourself saying it to him now?
3: He says, I already knew. And why are we talking about this?
1: Mm -hmm. What's it like for you?
3: In part, it's a relief because he goes, okay, great. He already understands it. I don't need to waste time on it.
1: Mm -hmm. And the other part?
3: says, why don't you want to get to know me better?
1: Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, Say it again.
3: Why don't you want to get to know me better? Which I think is one reason why I do press a little bit harder on getting to know him. Because I am trying to undo that, especially for myself.
1: Yes, but I want you to press him on getting to know you. And that's
3: the other side of that. If he's willing to share that with me, then I think that Again, not having that vocabulary and words gives me permission to do it for myself.
1: Mm-hmm. How you doing? Good.
4: I have not been able to access this.
1: You can come near him.
4: I was wanting to. I'm sitting here watching you get emotional. But um, I have not been able to access this.
1: Just tell him what it's like for you to listen to him.
4: When I hear you, when I say I need to learn how to be a better nurturer, I see that and go, oh my gosh, I want, to, I want to nurture this. I want to get closer. I want to hug you. I want to hold you.
1: Do you want to do it? What you just said?
4: Hug him and mm-hmm. hold him and touch him. Yes. Then go ahead I and do. shut up. I do. I oh. do.
1: When I listen to you, I am moved, I am sad, I am grateful, I am full, I feel what?
4: It pulls me closer to you. It affords me the opportunity to, to nurture you a little bit. I think Esther really touched on a point when she said that my shit, there's a huge um, imbalance, because here I am with all of my stuff and, it's, and then here you are saying, well, I don't need very much. And so I go, okay, well, then I can provide that. I can provide not very much. So I don't often feel like a really great mate because I'm going, okay, well, I'm I can provide you those scraps. And I don't want to provide you those scraps. I want a whole healthy, like, enveloping, wrap-around, like... That's what I want. I just didn't know how to access.
1: And I would just say, tell me more. We've been talking about me for a long time.
4: Right. I'm sick of talking about myself. So
1: then ask him, tell me more. Because this is a lie in your relationship. Hmm. It's not an intentional lie, but it's a lie. This idea that you don't need much and that it needed infidelity for you to finally say, I want something, and unequivocally demand it. good for you. And one of the things that infidelity sometimes does is it finally makes the person who always puts their needs last say, now me too. Mm. And I think that if you ask for more, things will change. The focus on his triggers is too seductive. Mm-hmm. You touch because you've learned not to talk. And you've learned not to talk because you fear the consequences of talking. Because mm-hmm. the first thing that would have come out of your mouth is, I'm gay. I am who I am. I may not be the son you imagined. And so you would learn not to talk. So we've got you who learned not to talk, and we've got him who over-talks but says not much. I mean, you know what I'm saying. I'm not mean to <laughs> i <insulting>. great
4: self-esteem. <laughs> it,
1: it, it's a kind of talking when you get nervous. Right.
4: It's a bait and swear. It yeah. doesn't.
1: I have an idea. I suppose there are a lot of things, or some things, that you would like from him when it comes to sexuality between the two of you. Hmm.
3: For sure, I tend to see making love and sex as a fun, spontaneous, exciting kind of thing. So it's how I feel loved and know I'm loved.
1: This is a couple who in the beginning thought that they were gonna come to talk about their sexuality together. That they were gonna come and talk about a sexual relationship. And we have now spent at least two hours in the trenches. And so now we're gonna connect some of the dots between the background and the consequences.
3: I hope you know that the physicality of our relationship is one of my favorite things. And I do want more of that. Whether it's complete naked sex fun, um, spontaneous hugs. Like the other day when we were in the kitchen and you came up and hugged me and kissed me and just said thank you and I love you for, I forget what I was doing, making dinner or whatever. I do want more of that. I need more of that.
1: Do you tell him? I love it when he does it.
3: Not always. It's something new for him to be doing. And it's something new for me to reinforce it.
1: Good. That you both need to do more of. Mm -hmm. You do. And you tell him it feels great. So that you blatantly reinforce each other. And you don't have to say, I do this because I know it's important to you. You can also say, I do this and I love giving to you.
4: That's a really great... Hmm? My mind just really went... And expanded my mind. No, it really did. Because I'm thinking, I do this because it's fulfilling a need. Not, I'm doing this because... I enjoy this as well. And I enjoy touching you. And I enjoy connecting with you. So, it was... I want you to know without question that you're the most important person to me.
1: Okay. When I come in the kitchen and I hug you spontaneously I feel
4: When I come into the kitchen and and hug you spontaneously it feels foreign to me.
1: I feel
4: I feel I'm not you I'm not used to it and I feel like like almost there has to be a purpose. Like it can't just be because I love you that I'm coming in here and doing it and I wanna be connected to you. It's almost very purposeful. So I don't feel immediately connected. I do after I do it and I see the way you respond. Then I go, okay, this is a good thing. This is bringing us closer. This
1: is a good thing or it feels good?
4: It feels good.
1: Do you know the difference? Right now when you're holding his hand, it's a good thing or it feels good?
4: It feels good. You know? I do know. You sure? I do. But I think it's a good thing because it does feel good. It feels good, feels scary to me. I'm scared of being vulnerable. I'm scared of letting go. I'm scared of, uh, and I really have issues with this. Being submissive isn't even the right word. I trust you wholeheartedly. I trust you but that place kind of scares me, too.
1: That fear, that resonance of submissiveness, which he knows in the moment is not the right word, but in the past was the imposed position, this is the remnants of sexual abuse talking. What could he do? Other things that he can do with you that would help you anchor.
4: I think by taking my hand and kind of focusing focusing me because my I get spun up
1: mm-hmm.
4: and my brain goes. Mm-hmm.
1: So you want him to hold your face just with I, his two hands. Go ahead.
4: I want you to hold my face.
1: And I want you to keep your eyes open so that you can't leave.
4: Yes, I want you to, this would be nice. This feels really nice. This feels safe. It, this is good. On my neck,
1: I'm going try
4: on my face.
1: Right, but you want him to lock the gaze. You want him to make sure that you see that it's him. Correct. And not any of the other jerks. Right. And you want him to say something? Do you want him to say, it's me, we're all right?
4: Yes, I do.
1: What do you want to I want him you to say? say,
4: it's all right, I'm here. It's all right, I'm here.
3: You are safe.
1: Say it again.
3: I'm here and you're safe.
4: I feel, I feel good. I feel, I feel grounded, I feel connected. Very much. As do I. Like, it's very strange.
1: Don't talk. Mm. No, if the tears come, just let them come. And say it again.
3: I am here. I love you and you're safe. I love you.
4: I
0: love you. I'm here for you. Esther Perel is the author of Mating in Captivity, Unlocking Erotic Intelligence, and her new book, The State of Affairs, rethinking infidelity both are available on audible for more episodes of where should we begin go to audible.com esther and if you're interested in being a part of the series or to sign up for esther's newsletter go to estherperel.com where should we begin is an audible original production produced by olivia natt and eva walchover produced and sound designed by paul schneider recorded by Nariko akabe Our executive producers are Esther Perel and me, Jesse Baker. Eric Newsom is our big boss, and we couldn't do this without Lindsay Rutowski and June Cohen. This is Audible.
1: This episode of Where Should We Begin is brought to you by Progressive.